All right, we just did day one of Hope Hope Has a Name of our video devotional. It's always be weird being introduced by yourself. And uh, no, that's not funny. But uh, hopefully you'll be able to journey with us, share that with others, because hope, because our world needs to know of hope. And so uh, you can go every day and just for two or three minutes. And if you don't like the video, don't worry about it. We have it all written up. And you can, you can read it and pass it on to others because we need to know that hope definitely is real and has a name, and the name is Jesus. Last week I said that I would share with you what we are doing for Christmas Eve. And it's going to be something different, uh, very different. And let me, let me tell you what we're going to be doing for Christmas Eve. Uh, we're going to have a Christmas Eve worship service at 5 p.m. And it is going to be a drive-in Christmas Eve service. That's right. It's going to be a drive-in Christmas Eve service in our parking lot over here. We have a stage. You can come in with your car. We're going to have a number of different things that you can do in your car. But we're going to worship. And it's in a nice safe, socially distanced, um, and our goal is to fill up the parking lot, and even more. And so it's a great way to invite your friends, come and join us, and you can put, keep the kids in the car. That's great. Isn't that great? You can belt them in. No, but uh, uh, come. Uh, it's going to be 5 p.m. right here on our campus. If you're watching us here, you, you can come, be in your car, contained, and uh, also we're going to have a great Christmas Eve service. And so um, we encourage you to go ahead and circle that and begin to invite others to join us here at 5 p.m. on December 24th. We're going to have a drive-in Christmas Eve service. I've never done that before. I did one before. It was terrible, but this one's going to be much, much better. <laughs> promise you that. So we encourage you to be here. We want to fill up that on parking lot. We have 300 parking spaces. We want to fill everyone up because hope really has a name. And boy, does our world need hope. And the church has the gospel, which is a hope of the world. And so every Sunday, uh, we are in this new series called Hope Has a Name, and we're going to be walking through four names of God that are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Four names that we find in the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter in verse 6. I'm going to read this for us, then I'm going to go back then and sort of break this passage down. After the sermon, uh, we are going to celebrate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so if you are here with us in person, hopefully you're able to get a cup of juice and a piece of bread. If you're watching us on, online now or a little bit later, we encourage you to, after I read the passage, to go to your kitchen, grab some crackers, grab some grape juice, come back, and at the end of the sermon, we'll celebrate together here in person and online uh, the gift of our Savior Jesus Christ and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. But the prophet Isaiah, these, these words are 700 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years before the birth of Christ in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is what the prophet says. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 
Our friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Oh, gracious God, as we begin this season of waiting, we are Americans. We hate to wait. So we have created this system in our culture where we don't have to wait. We just click here or click there or we hang up or or we find other ways because we want everything now. You are God of perfect timing. I know you don't work in our timing, but you, God, you are a God that always works and is working and delivers. I can't imagine waiting 700 years for this prophecy to be fulfilled, but you did. It seems a long time for us. It's just seconds for you. And so we wait. We've been waiting a lot this year, and we're waiting for this year to be over But I love what Andrew said. Why should we wait for this year to be over when you can work right now? And so come to us. Come to us and bring hope. Renew hope. Restore hope. Let us know that hope has a name. And God, use me in this moment to be a vessel for you. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. There is a saying that goes like this. Hope is not a strategy. That hope is not a strategy. And what they, what they mean by that is that hope is really not a plan. That... that, that, that um, you can't just say, let's, let's hope that we win the game. You've got to have a course of action, right? You just can't say, I want to get out of debt. That's hopeful. But do you have a plan to get out of debt? Do you have a strategy to get out of debt? You can't just say, hey, you know what? I hope to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds or 50 pounds. That's great. What's your plan? What's your strategy? What's your course of action? You can't just say, hey, you know what? I want to improve my relationships. Now, I really want to, to sort of watch my tongue. Now, I want my language to be a language that lifts people up, not brings them down. Brings them? Oh, brings them down. How about that? It's better English. But what's your plan for that? What's your strategy for that? I want to be a person of, of more gratitude and, and, and to live in the spirit of thankfulness. Hey, that's a great idea. But what's your course of action? What is your plan? I mean, I, I hope we get this account. Uh, we really need this account. We really need this, this person's account to help our business. That's great. What's your plan? What's your strategy? And so when someone says hope is not a strategy, what they're saying is, I don't want to live in the ideal. I don't want to live in the ideas. I want to live in the real world where there's action. Hope is not a strategy. I get it. I get it. We we want something tangible. We want action. And so when we hear this word hope, it's, In some sense, it takes us to this mythical place 
Like C.S. Lewis put together this place of Narnia where, where there's this wardrobe closet and, and we sort of come in on a Sunday morning and, or later when we watch this and oh, there's a hope chest and we open it up and we go into this world where there's no evil and everything's great. But then we step back out of the chest and there's a the real world where there's hopelessness and there's darkness. And so when we talk about hope, we say, okay, yeah, but I've been living life for a while and I don't want to buy into something that will disappoint me again. Early, yes, I can believe in hope. But I've lived life and I know that we don't live in a world of hope. I can't get my hopes up again. And hope is just some mythological idea. I'm here to tell you that hope is not an idea. The hope is real. I don't say that just because I'm a pastor. I know that because I'm a person. Hope has a name. Hope is real. Hope is a strategy given to us by God. In Isaiah chapter 9, the the Israelites on the verge of being destroyed by the Assyrians. The nation that was chosen by God, created by God, is about the fall. And in the midst of this, we have this prophecy from Isaiah. He says, there is going to be great darkness coming upon you, but don't worry about it. The people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. The prophecy in Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2 right here, is something called the prophetic perfect. What it means is that the prophet is speaking in a way that's about the future And so he's prophesying about something in the future, but speaks in a way that it's already been accomplished. The prophetic perfect. He's describing something that's going to happen in the future, but he uses language of the past tense. That it's already happened. So he says, listen, you're walking in darkness. One day you will see a light. He doesn't say that. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a light. It's the prophetic perfect. And so he's speaking about the future, but his future events are viewed with so much assurance and so much certainty. It's not some fantasy, but this is real. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Isn't that what faith is? I mean, think about the relationship of hope 
to faith. That actually hope is part of the definition of faith. That the great definition in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, right? That, that faith is the confidence. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the confidence in what? In what we hope for. And the assurance of what we do not see. So faith is. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we cannot see. Faith is living in this prophetic perfect. It's not living my life according to my imagination, my limitations, my eyesight, my wallet, or how the world goes, but having faith in that what God says God's going to do. That's what it means. That hope has a name. And when we say that we are people of hope and that Peter says that we should have a reason that when someone comes to us that we need to have a reason to share for the hope that lives within us. That I don't want you to say, well, I'm talking about something that does not exist. No, it does exist. It is real. Hope has a name. And part of living in faith is with the assurance of this prophetic perfect that God is going to do what God says he's going to do. That God is faithful. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Darkness. Absence of light. Darkness. Physical darkness. Spiritual darkness. Moral darkness. The, the, the Hebrew word for darkness means, it means like, like the city, the gates of a city are shut. The people who have shut themselves out of God, who, who, who are away from God, guess what? They have seen a great light. There is hope. In the midst of the darkness, light penetrates the great darkness. And as we make our way through this, until we get to verse 6, what happens is that the, the prophet Isaiah and the prophetic perfect is, is prophesying about future events as if they have already happened. And he says, listen, you, nation of Israel... You are going to be defeated by the Syrians. You're going to be in this land of great darkness. Do not worry about it because there is going to be joy upon joy upon joy. And as you make your way through this passage in Isaiah, the word joy comes out over and over again. The commentators say it's a fourfold sense of joy. He says your joy will increase. That you're going to be a nation that seems small. You're going to, be, you're going to become a large nation. Your joy is going to increase. Your joy will be like the great joy of, at the harvest. You're going to have joy. It's going to, be, it's going to be like when the warriors come back from victory. You're going to have joy upon joy upon joy. You're going to have so much joy. And what is the plan? What is the strategy for this joy? What is the action for this joy? A child. A child. This, a child is the centerpiece for this joy. 
a child that we know is going to be born. A child who's going to be a son. That the child is the centerpiece of hope. That God's strategy of hope is a child who is born, who's a son. That is why we as a people will rejoice. The oppressive yoke that's being placed upon us by the government, Israel, will be shattered because a child is going to be born. You are going to rejoice as if you are bringing in the largest and the greatest harvest. You are going to rejoice as if the greatest victory has been won, that the child is going to be born. He's going to be a son. And he's going to have a name. And his name is Wonderful Counselor. <laughs> I wish God started with like Mighty Warrior. That'd be nice. But no, his name is Wonderful Counselor. We know in the Old Testament that anytime someone was given a name, it wasn't just by accident. That name spoke to their character, their name spoke to their what we call their essence, their personhood. And so God. Say, this child is going to be called, this child, this son, who is going to release this wave of joy and glory and honor, that this child is going to release all this victory. This child is going to be called, it's going to have a name, and their first name is Wonderful Counselor. And the Hebrew word here for wonderful, it's the name of that great soccer player, Pele. That's what it has here. That the Hebrew word for wonderful is, is Pele. And it, it doesn't mean, oh, that's so wonderful. No, the Hebrew word means wonders, miracles. And it only is used in connection with God. Pele is only used when it speaks about the work of God in history. We first see it in Exodus 15. In verse 11, when Miriam has this beautiful song and she's, and she's singing the song about the activity of God, how God has freed his people, how he's led them out of slavery into the promised land. In Exodus 15, in verse 11 she sings these words, for who among the gods are like you? Who like you is majestic in holiness? Who, who like you is awesome in glory? Who like you works wonders? 
In Psalm 77, in, in verse 11, David writes, I will consider all your works. It means I will consider all your wonders and I will meditate on your mighty deeds. What a great activity for Advent. If we took Psalm 77, verse 11, and just think about what if, what if we considered all the wonders of God, all the works of God, and we just meditated on these mighty deeds of God. He goes on and writes in verse 14, Psalm 77, David says, you are the God who performs miracles. Another translation, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your power among the people. That when we, when we have this word Pele, that wonderful counselor, what it means, it refers to that God is a God who works miracles. God is a God who does wonderful things, wonders, acts of wonder that are beyond all human imagination. And he's also a wonderful counselor. The, the, the words go together. That he's a wonderful counselor. The, the, the Hebrew word here is different than what we know of a counselor. Yes, it, it means that someone who gives us wisdom and someone who gives us advice. But how the word is used here is that someone who executes a plan Someone who, who sees something being done. Someone who makes a plan and then executes that plan. And we see this, first of all, in Exodus 18 when Jethro, the, the father-in-law of Moses, comes and he sees Moses and he's overseeing all these, administrating all the activities of Israel. And Jethro's there just as a mentor, just to watch him work all day long. And at the end of the day, he says, you know what? You're going to die. You can't do this. It's wearing you out. So he gave him some advice. He says, come now. Listen to me, Moses. I'll give you some advice some wisdom and how you can go about the work of God and use the gifts of God and lead your people in a way where it's not going to kill you physically. Wonderful counselor. Isaiah 11, verse 2, the, the verse that Ian read at the beginning of the service. That's another messianic prophecy speaking about Jesus and the birth of Jesus. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, rest upon this child. The Spirit of wisdom will be upon him. And the Spirit of understanding will be upon him. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of fear of the Lord. That this Son that this hope has a name, this son is going to be a son, it's going to be a child who is going to do acts of wonder like God and then is going to execute them 
for the glory of God. There's not just someone here who just comes alongside of us and says, tell me about your day. No, it's someone who is going to do the wonders of God and the greatness of God and is going to act those, put those into action here on earth. It's going to take the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and it's going to bring it here on earth. And it's going to act it out through your life and through our church and through our city. That Paul writes to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, For no matter how many promises God has made, Think about all the promises God has made. This is what Paul is saying. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are, they are yes in Christ. Yes. Other word, amen in Christ. That Jesus, the wonderful counselor, has come to fulfill all the promises of God, have come to do the wonders and the marvelous acts of God and to put them into action. See, hope has a name. It's not just something way out there. It's a strategy. And God's strategy, plan of action, is the wonderful counselor. It's Jesus. Jesus is not just someone who sits there and and waits for us. It's someone who's there who wants to act and fulfill God's plan for us. Think about it. Many people say, well, I want to... I want to work in a way that pleases God. We got to work in His way. If you want to see God work in His wonders, you got to work according to His way, His plan. Paul went right into the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. He has this. This prayer, at the, at the end of the prayer, he offers these words of blessing. And he says, over the church of Ephesus, now, now to him, I mean the Christ, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to the power that's at work within us. I look at this verse and I say, wow. Because when I look at life, when I'm engaged with life, it's measured. God can only work in this way and in this manner. And our prayers are just like, may I just make it through the day? May I just cope? What Paul's saying is that we worship a God who is able to do immeasurably more then whatever we can ask or imagine, that if you can imagine it or you can ask it, that God can do even more than that. That that is the wonderful counselor. He's able to do immeasurably more than whatever we can ask or imagine. So what are you asking him for? This Advent, what are you going to ask him for? How are you going to live into this name of wonderful counselor? What do you ask him? What is something immeasurably more than you could ask or even imagine? What are you going to ask God? How are you going to call out the name wonderful counselor? How are you going to live into this true identity, wonderful counselor? 
I think what we do is we, we, we live in a world where we're discounting the mighty acts of God. That, yeah, God's out there, but God can't do this. God can't overcome the situation. God can't heal that relationship. God can't bring the money for us. That God cannot do these things. What are we, what are we doing? We are only measuring God according to our standard, but God can do immeasurably more than whatever we ask or imagine. Why? Because he is the wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. I'll leave you with this. In Exodus chapter 17, Moses is, is with the people, and they're in the wilderness. In Exodus 15, the people began to complain, there's no water. And I would probably say, why should I follow Moses? He led us through this Red Sea and we ended up in this wilderness. And he can't plan because there's no water and there's no food. But God does a miracle in front of the people. Two chapters later, they're back in the same situation. And they began to complain to Moses. Have you brought us out here in the wilderness to die? Are we out here just to die? And Moses goes to God and says, these people are killing me. They're just grumbling and grumbling and grumbling and grumbling. They're just killing me. And now they want water. A couple of chapters later, you gave them water. What am I to do? And he says, Moses, take your staff. Well, first of all, gather the elders. Why? Because the elders need to witness this. The leaders need to know that I'm a wonderful counselor, that I'm a God who works wonders. They should not forget what kind of God that I am. If the leaders are not walking with God, not walking this wondrous God, then they can't lead the people. I want you to gather the elders. I want you to grab your staff, the staff that I have given you. I want you to go over to that rock. I want you to hit the rock, and water is going to come out of that rock. And it did. God brought water from a rock in the desert. He brought water from a rock in a desert. Who are we to say that he can't rescue us or save us or free us or provide for us? He brought water from a rock in the desert. But Moses had to be faithful. Moses had to take what he had and give it to God. And give it to God. I think at times we're too cautious with God. Because we don't want to fail. And we're afraid. We're too cautious with God. We're too shy with God. But if we are going to come alive as a church, if you're going to come alive, if I'm going to come alive, if our city comes alive, we cannot walk a cautious way with God. We have to receive this child as a wonderful counselor. We have to know that we worship a God who brings water from a rock in the middle of the desert. 
that we have to believe that God is a God who works wonders. And when I have seen this happen in communities is when there is an overwhelming spirit of generosity. Generosity. And the spirit of Christmas. We're able to buy all these different gifts and we're thinking about other folks and we're trying to get all their lists together. But I believe that that money is, is one of those areas of our lives that this robs us of great joy and life. The worrying about money, the fear of money, of being cautious with their money. And the prophet Malachi says it well, right? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, which is the church. Bring it into the church. And then God says this, test me. Test me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates. See, watch me throw open the floodgates. The floodgates of heaven. And pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to get it. That if we're going to come alive, we say that we have to pray and seek. We have to love and bless. And we have to go and do. But we, can, we will not come alive as a church unless we let go of the power of money. And that we release the money into the storehouse and then give it away. To bring honor to God. And watch him do mighty and wonderful acts. We will not come alive. We will continue to be lost in the desert. And we will not know the wonderful counselor. We won't know that hope has a name. And others will not know hope has a name. And so there's Advent. Maybe it's time. Look at your money and say, God, I want to do it in your way. Look at your time and say, I want my time to be done in your way. Maybe you're facing right now a situation that you're in the desert and there's no way and nowhere else to go. And you're saying, really? God can bring water out of a rock in the middle of a desert? He's really this wonderful counselor? I don't know. And I'm going to say, yes, he is. He is. He's a wonderful counselor. And so he offered his son for us. He offered his son for us. So we no longer live in darkness. But now we know the great light. That we would be free of darkness. And live in hope. And hope is not a strategy. It's a name. And it's Jesus. Scripture tells us on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, our Lord took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. As often as you drink from this, do this in remembrance of me. For my friends, as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the saving death 
of our risen Lord until he comes. Please join me in prayer. Oh, gracious God, as we come to this table, this is a table of a wonderful counselor, of a mighty act, O Lord, where Jesus sacrificed his life for our sake. He took our sins to the cross, and they were nailed with him. And then when everyone thought that the day was over, that hope was just a waste-filled strategy, the women ran to the tomb to find out that the stone had been rolled away, that death had been defeated, that Jesus is alive. And you are bringing life out of death. And so we pray as we, that this bread and this juice will be used for your sacred purpose. And as we eat of this bread and drink of this juice in a moment, that we are through the power of the Holy Spirit eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus, communing with him. And after we eat this bread and drink this cup, may we just sit there and think about what you can do immeasurably more than what we can ask or imagine. Think about what we're holding on to. Maybe we're holding on to our money. We need to let it go. Let the spirit of generosity just flow through our lives, flow through this church. What is that situation, Lord, where we're in a desert and we're grumbling and we're saying there's no way God could meet us here? And you say, take the staff, hit the rock, and watch water flow from it. That's who you are. You're a wonderful counselor. We don't have to walk in darkness. But there's a light. And hope has a name. And it's Jesus. So we take this bread and we drink from this cup. And we know that he is our hope. And we'll live with him. We ask this all in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Our friends, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. Friends, this is the blood of Jesus poured out for you. Taste and see. The Lord is good.